Happy Friday evening, everybody. What's going on? You know what's going on? The weekend is about to begin. This is how it always starts. Friday night, you've got Monday morning seems far, far away. Then Saturday comes, you relax. Then it's Saturday evening. It's like, oh no, got to get ready for church. Then Sunday, then you hear it go to church, have a wonderful sermon, go home. And all of a sudden it's the 4.30 fellowship. I'm going to the fellowship, boom. Sunday night is becoming later and later and it turns into Monday. I can't understand why things are flying so fast. Hey, slow this train down, I wanna get off. But before I do, let's pray and read Hebrews 3 in the NLT. Dear Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for the ability to read your word. Your word is a joy because it's you speaking through the men you inspired. And it's you showing us we have hope. that This world is not slated for death. And we don't have to be either. Maybe this world is slated for death, but we don't have to be either. There's a new covenant coming, a reset. A kingdom, Lord, where we may be down at the bottom now, but we'll be, it'll, it'll flip. It'll, the upside down kingdom will flip. We want to be part of the new covenant, the new universe that never fades away. This world is fading fast because there's so much contention, Talmud, and things going on inside of people, they just can't seem to relate. And you are the glue that keeps people together, Lord, and we want to be kept together. We want to be integrated into you and your son. Bless us now as we read your word. Give us the Holy Spirit of joy, peace, and passion. Give us uh, meekness, kindness, uh, self-control, or gentleness and goodness. Help us to be people of the Spirit, not people, not people of the earth. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and the freedom to have your word, to read it, to cherish it, I pray. In the name of Christ, I ask. Amen. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Hebrews 3 in the NLT. It says here, Jesus is greater than Moses. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Jesus is everything. He's the eschaton of Genesis 3.15. Is it Genesis 3.15? I better make sure I got that straight, because if I say it and and he's not, Yes, he is. C.S. Caton, he's the messenger, he's the high priest, he's the savior, he's the king, he's the new man to come, he's the message, he's everything, it's all on him. He's the old covenant fulfilled, he's the new covenant on two legs, he's God's eternal covenant with man, the, the, the covenant we had before with God and Adam, with Adam and Eve, where they walked in the garden and everything was harmonious, And it was the same covenant, really. But I guess, you know, it wasn't technically really declared. But it was always, that was always the glue that was going to hold the earth and people and the universe together. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it kind of started to dissipate. The world was subject to vanity. The universe was subject to vanity, as it says in Romans 8. It was subject to emptiness. It was subject to decay. A curse was put on it because God sort of withdrew his power and his essence. Jesus is everything. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Jesus, like Moses, was humble and he 
and he followed his calling. God called him, but he's God in flesh. He's God with us. Verse 3, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. So God is saying that Jesus d- demands more honor. And I guess the person who is writing this to the Hebrews, you know, they've got the law of Moses. They've got the, they've, they've, they, they have Jesus, but now he's sort of in a conflict or there's maybe a contention with the old covenant. You know, maybe there's it's like, okay, yeah, the old covenant was rules, rules, rules. It was rules to do this, rules to do that, rules to do that. And maybe I shouldn't say it that way. You know, God did give freedom. I mean, the, the rules were supposed to grant the Israelites who had been living in Egypt, who'd been messed up, right? They were messed up, right? They, they were living in Egypt, but they were, in, they were spiritual Egypt in their mind. And the rules were supposed to be guidelines so they could be aligned and unified. God was unifying them. So it wasn't, you know, people say rules are bad. Really? Take away all the rules and see what happens to the society outside your house tonight. Take away the rules. Talk about fear and anxiety. You'll, you'll have fear and anxiety because then everybody will do what they think is right. And a lot of people say what they're doing is right, but it's really wrong. And chaos and our anarchy. Rules are bad. Everybody says rules are bad. We don't want to be under rules. Okay, let's be under chaos and anarchy then. But the thing is that it seemed that Jesus came and he, quote, relaxed the rules. He didn't relax the rules. He actually made it harder. Moses says, you know, um, if you if you commit adult, if you, you know, uh, commit the physical act of adultery, you've committed adultery. Jesus says, no, you don't even have to do that. If you think about it, if it's in your mind, Jesus goes higher. Love fulfills the law. So if you love, you will fulfill the law. But if you keep the law, it doesn't mean you're loving. And it seemed that that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in John 8. He says, you don't know me or my father. And you're not even keeping the rules anyways. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. So Moses was a servant, right? Moses was a, a meek man. He was very kind, but he sinned. He killed somebody. He wasn't perfect. He was a human being. He wasn't, you know, he was, he, he was like everybody else. He had his good days and he had bad days. And in, when he was 40, he killed somebody and then he had to run out of Egypt because they were going to catch him or Pharaoh was going to kill him. And he was afraid and he wasn't perfect. And he had to go into the wilderness for 40 years himself. So he went into the wilderness for 40 years. He comes out as a leader. And then he gets these people out of Egypt. And they're supposed to go to the promised land. And they go there and they they have all kinds of issues. They don't believe. And then they're wandering around for another 40 years. So it's just like, oh, I think I've arrived. No, with God, you never arrive. God works on something with you. You pass the test. Oh, look, there's something else in your character that needs scrubbing. It never fails. It just seems like, you know, you're either you have to pass a test or God is going to teach you different things about scripture, about yourself, about how you relate to others. Weekly, monthly, daily, yearly. We are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Yeah, got to keep my courage. Sometimes I get discouraged. Sometimes I take my eyes off Jesus and I wonder, 
ah, Lord, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. I think I'm under, you know, it just always goes wrong. I'm always apologizing or saying I'm sorry or trying to fix something that I botched. Other people just do it so effortlessly. And I wonder, Lord, why am I always under the gun? Why am I always the guy who tries to make it easier and tries to do it right and yet makes it harder? As somebody said, you overcomplicate everything. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. But I guess they're right, I do. And I really want it to be not complicated because I'm an uncomplicated person. But you just get complicated, get confused. It seems like just a glut of commands or a glut of things you have to do in the mainframe. It's like, I don't think I'm dyslexic, but honestly, sometimes I just get really confused. I can't remember all this stuff. I have to go fumbling around looking for pieces of paper where all these cheat notes are. I can't even find the cheat notes. I put them in a folder, an email, or, or Outlook, and then I can't find the folder. <sighs> Just more and more things to do with less and less time. Anyways, verse 7. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. God wants us to have soft hearts. He wants us to turn towards him. I've had so many conversations with some people and they just... It seems like they're shaking their fist at God. And I always say to myself, if I could just walk up to them and say, could you just unclench your fist and just open your hand? You may be surprised at what God drops into your hand. But they just, everything is just a push away. You know, it's like, I just like shake my head how people can be so opinionated, so proud, so hard-hearted, especially when they live in the same world that I'm living in and they see the things that are happening. They see all this stuff going on, going on around them, and they're scared. They don't like the way the world is going. They don't like themselves. And yet they just won't admit that God is good, that he's actually been trying to turn us away from all of this bad business. He's actually been trying to steer the whole ship properly. But since the ship won't steer, then God's just going to work with people. In, in Romans 1, he said, God says, God gave them up three times. When God gives up on you, you're in big trouble. That's the unpardonable sin because the Holy Spirit ain't going to talk to you anymore. You know, I mean, Saul went to the witch, which of, I think it was, uh, was it the, um, yeah, it was a witch. And, you know, because he was asking God and God, God didn't answer him. God didn't answer him. Like, did he never, did he not listen to God or did he harden his heart so that, he couldn't hear God's voice anymore. Maybe God was speaking to him, but he had hardened himself over the years. God says one thing, he does the other. Samuel says one thing, he does the other. And then finally, when he's in a crisis, when he doesn't know if he's going to come out of this battle, he goes to a witch. He just had just created an attitude of ingratitude, an attitude, a hardened, stubborn heart. That whatever God said, I'm going to do the exact opposite because it's not a good idea. He didn't trust in God. He trusted in his own intellect and it failed him. And he ended up going to a witch. Make sure that your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today 
so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Well, you know, we could say Israel didn't have a great track record, but Gentiles don't have a great track record either. And even though Israel was given these laws and the custom and, uh, you know, uh, the Sabbath day, which everybody thinks is Saturday, really, the Jews are really a case study of all of humanity. They're just a case study because they rebelled because they were proud. They didn't listen to God. They did their own thing. We do that. Everybody does that. I do that. Even Christians who are born again Christians still do that. Paul says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't do, those are the things I should be doing. He said, there's a war of my mind. I want to do what's right, but there's a war in my members. There's something in my flesh that just does wrong. It's just bent wrong. It wants to do what is wrong. That's, that's sin. That's entropy. That's disorder. That's, we are born bent wrong. And God is the only one who can straighten us right. Remember what it says, but you got to let him know. You got to let him. You got you to gotta give your will over to God. Like somebody said, there's a one throne in your heart. There's one seat in your heart. It's either you or it's Jesus. Jesus was not going to try to sit on that throne when you're sitting on it. You either get up and give it to him, you surrender. I surrender all. You know that song? Hey, I surrender to Jesus. And then sometimes I say, okay, Lord, uh, can I, I'm tired of standing. I, I, want, I, want, I want the seat back. <laughs> I want the seat back. It's really, it's really not a great resume. It's not something to be proud of. Verse 15, remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Verse 16, and who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people... Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? Wow. They they wanted they got out of they got out of Dodge. They got out of Egypt, but yet Egypt was still in them. They got out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. Egypt is still in us too. We're kind of wild and unfettered. We don't like trusting God. We want to figure it all out ourselves. And if God tells us something we don't like, Lord, uh, I got to take this back. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, give me a little bit of time with this. Uh, I'll think about it. I'll let you know, God's not going to save us like that. If we don't listen to him, he's not going to save us. He's not going to take us into his kingdom. I have to be there. I'm sorry, this world is just failing all around me. I have to, I have to be in the kingdom. I, I really do. I've read the Bible. I know it's true. I just know it's true. I can never prove it. And that that's okay. I don't need to prove it to people. It's not about proof. It's about faith. I trust God. I believe but sometimes I don't surrender my will. Verse 17, and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? Oh boy. And to whom was God speaking? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. You know, God rested on the seventh day, which everybody thinks is a Sabbath, but this, the physical Sabbath, there's nothing wrong with physically resting. I mean, t tonight's Friday night. I used to 
quote keep the sabbath unquote like i wouldn't be looking at secular things i wouldn't be you know i mean i still use my phone but i wouldn't be like looking at a movie or something like that i would feel really guilty and there's nothing wrong with having that discipline and there's nothing wrong with having friday night um but the thing is the sabbath was really supposed to be about the rest we have with god through jesus christ he has forgiven our sins romans 5 1 and 2 they've been taken away We've been justified. We get, we get to talk to God again because our sins are not blocking. We talk to God through Jesus because God looks at Jesus and sees that we have not sinned. And then God sanctifies us over time, over the course of our life. It says they were not able to enter his rest. If we don't believe God, we don't believe Jesus, we won't be at rest with God. Our sins will still trample us. Our sins will still be on the books. And when God comes back, he won't be able to take us into his kingdom because we have to believe in his son and we have to become like his son. And we can't do that on our own. Jesus is the one who has to formulate the new heart in us. We were studying the Beatitudes in our Bible study at church on Wednesday nights. And it's like Jesus forms the Beatitudes in us. Those are Jesus's commandments. The law of God a law of Moses was given to Moses on Mount Sinai and Jesus went up a small hill and gave us his eight commandments, his eight beatitudes. Jesus forms a new heart in us so that love fulfills the law. The law of Christ fulfills the law of Moses. I want to be filled and I want to be fulfilled and I want to fulfill God's purpose for my life because it's not God's purpose for my life that I should just walk away from him and this this earthly um, domain would be all there is. That just seems incomplete, adequate, and threadbare. God wants the best for you. He doesn't want good for you. He wants holiness for you. He wants eternity for you. He wants you to live in his house by his side forever. I like that offer. I would like to take God up on that offer through Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening.